Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the And welcome to the strange world of Ghost Chronicles. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone Van Helsink. And with me, my co-host, all the way from the land of the Red Dragon, the gold standard in ghost hunting, and a prolific author, author, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Not on holiday anymore, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. It is, isn't so, it? So, I'm on the phone right now because uh, evidently uh, Skype's got uninstalled from my computer for some reason. Um, <laughs> can't help you there. Maybe just the Skype update needs doing because they happen the like... Uh, they come along in what two a month? Yeah, I, it's, it's it's just amazing. It's just like it never. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. it's Skype for you. Ever since Facebook took over, it's uh, it's not as good. All right, so let's on with the show. Yes, absolutely. So anyway, um, I am. All right, so you have. Uh, I noticed on your Facebook page you have two uh, uh, new books out. Uh, I saw a duo, one purple, one blue. Au contraire. No, only one new book out. Um, The blue one is the one that came out in 2018, which is the General Guidance Notes for Investigators of Spontaneous Cases. Uh, It was published by the Society for Psychical Research. And it can take that's the one that's like um, uh, all of the basic steps for an investigation. So interviewing and um, uh, research and all that sort of basic foundation stuff. There is a chapter on equipment, but it's not very in-depth. It it sort of just looks at the at the essential details. And welcome to Skype's Ron. Um the new book, that's the one with the reddish coloured cover, was published. Well, it hasn't been published yet. It's available only from the Society for Psychical Research until uh, the 2nd of August when it's released uh, worldwide on Amazon uh, in two formats. It's printed and it's Kindle. Now, that one uh, deals exclusively with equipment, hence the title Using Equipment Guidance Notes for Investigators. Um, and it is aimed at uh, looking um, or giving guidance to all of those uh, investigators who use gadgets, technology, equipment, from the humble cassette recorder right up to and including um, the Tesla automobile, incredibly enough. Um and smart technology, of course, and all of the things that. Uh, so it's it's um, 
hopefully intended again published by the society for psychical research and it came about because when the blue covered book the general guidance notes were first published and launched um when we were doing some of the launch events and webinars there was a lot of questions uh, pertaining to equipment uh you know what should i buy how should i use it how should i interpret the results and it dawned on um on me that we really need to address many of those questions and this book is intended to address those questions so it looks at the best sort of technology to buy the best way to use the technology to look after it to care for it to get the value for the money you've paid for it um and also to use the data and the information gathered uh, to help your investigations in the best possible way so it says you're on skype <laughs> Or am I just talking to myself again? Anyway, the book, which was originally um, supposed to have come out last year, but of course lockdown got in the way of that, we um, gave me the opportunity uh, to expand on it a little. And um, it turned from the uh, planned 75 pages, which was really unfeasible, uh, up to I think it's 169 pages because I didn't want to have to write it twice um, or, or even, you know, during the launch events, face more questions like, what do I do in this situation? What sort of um, piece of equipment okay. should I use in this under these circumstances? And so I had the opportunity uh, because of lockdown to make the book as comprehensive uh, as I thought was possible while still being small enough and concise so, enough steve can you give us a little taste of it really i mean you, you threw a lot of stuff out there but okay you know you know like give us a little taste of it what what you know for instance can you do you have an excerpt from it you could actually read and we can get an idea of uh what it's really like uh bear with me for a second then yeah that's fine I'm back Hello, on Skype, sure. so I'm happy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did say you were back, but uh, yeah, oh, so, so we'll 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 do the introduction. We'll read you an extract from the introduction. Well, you know, rather not. I'd rather have an actual. Okay, okay. Pick a subject. Pick a subject, then. Anything you want, Steve. Just so that people get an idea of what it's what's in there. I mean, you talk about a lot of things, but it, actually hearing it, then they get a, a much better concept of it, Steve. Okay. If right. You don't. Not at all. Um, for example, um, this is an alternative method for or uh, first one, the, the thing stopping on because most EMF meters, as you're aware, have a single axis sensor, mm -hmm. uh, although there are three axis sensors available. So it covers both. But this 10.1 aligning a single axis sensor whenever a single axis sensor is used, failing to properly align the sensor with the pol polarization of the electromagnetic field will cause the measurements to be significantly lower than the field's actual true intensity. The position of the sensor and the orientation of its measuring axis will normally be indicated somewhere on the body of the device or within the instruction manual. In many instances, especially at the commencement of the investigation, the polarization of the electromagnetic fields will not be known. In these circumstances, the following method can be used to align the sensor with the polarization of the field. 
It may also be useful if the investigator wishes to simply determine the polarization of a detected electromagnetic field. One, start by holding the meter away from the user's body parallel with the floor, uh, parallel to the floor with the display uppermost. Then slowly rotate and tilt the meter approximately 90 degrees in every direction until the highest reading is observed. This indicates that the meter is closely aligned with the electromagnetic field. This alignment procedure will need to be repeated for every measurement. Oh, wow. To determine the maximum intensity of the field, it is then a simple matter of holding the meter in its new orientation whilst moving it forwards and backwards, side to side or up and down until the highest reading is seen. When no further increase in the electromagnetic level is observed, the measurement can be made and the measuring position noted. Investigators may also wish to note the polarization of the field on a plan or diagram of the area or location which they are examining. There we go. Okay, so that gives people a little taste of yeah, what Yeah, and it, it's oh. also a useful guide, uh, you know, instead of just wandering around holding an EMF meter. Which most, in, people, which most people do, by the yeah, way. Yeah, which most people would do. Uh, and they may be misreading the field. Um, they may be under-reading the field uh, specifically. But by, by this very, I mean, it, it took me longer to say than it actually takes to do. Mm -hmm. Um but that by doing that simple measure, which takes about five seconds, you can ensure that you have got the best, uh, most accurate measurement. See, a simple little thing that can be done. I mean, dead, and, dead and simple, dead simple. Yeah. Takes five seconds. And where the senses are so important on a uh, an EMF meter, most people don't realize that you know that they they think they're holding it forward, they're picking up things forward but the sensors are really off to the side so that's where you're getting your readings from not really from the the front and yet you know they'll say oh right look look right in front of me and no well no not really that's not exactly. really i mean so, some designs actually have the sensor very close to the um the rear actually of the, of the device which means it's close to the to the user's hand yeah. um now ordinarily the position of the sensor as i said is marked on the device or somewhere in right. the instructions um once you know the position of the sensor then of course, I, I, had a, I had a chuckle when you said that you said in the instruction booklet the most, you get so many of them have absolutely nothing with it you get like a piece of paper and that is your instructions well you know. yeah, I, I, the chapter deals specifically with um uh in a professional um, I know. you know yeah I know, uh, but I'm just I o, o, OEM ones not ghost hunter grade ones um that you buy from the ghost shop uh but I'll just pull up one very quick one um this is looking at cameras and photography and digital cameras in uh, specifically because there's a section on film cameras as well and 15.3 the sensor there are several factors relating to the sensor that investigators may wish to consider Specifically, these are the size of the individual pixels, the number of pixels and the overall size of the sensor. The size of the individual pixels is the most important part. Larger pixels have a greater light gathering ability and consequently the sensor's output requires less amplification and produces fewer image artifacts. The total number of pixels is less important 
the more more pixels can allow finer details to be recorded by the sensor but can introduce image noise which may obscure the additional detail uh, for any for any given number of pixels sensors that are physically larger will always have bigger pixels and will always produce better quality pictures especially in lower lighting conditions camera phones and many compact cameras typically use a small sensor although an increasing number of compact cameras and dslrs use sensors that are physically larger with correspondingly bigger pixels and there are sections on um you know just bounce all the way back to the uh introduction um it starts off the usefulness of equipment measurement documenting and recording measurements care and maintenance um battery how many care, pages how many pages steve 169 ah good 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 solid um, care and maintenance date and time temperature measuring temperature weather and local atmospheric conditions electromagnetic fields using an emf meter sound recording microphones evp working with sound recordings photography video photography working with photography and video uh, smartphones and tablet computers spontaneous object movement measuring other things and additional resources there we go. Yeah, you get quite so a bit. it's yeah because as I said, um, you know we we do. Uh, it was going to be you know smaller, like the blue book is. Mm. Uh, so less pages, but lockdown gave me the opportunity to um, expand. Um, well, I didn't want to write it twice, as I said at the start. <laughs> now. It, 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 we see so often on these ghost hunting shows that the people uh, have different pieces of equipment and, mm -hmm. and a lot of them think that the more they pay for the equipment, the, the better it is for what they're doing. But uh, in reality, uh, it, for instance, let's, let's take a look at the thermal imager. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you had a thermal imager, uh, you know, you were, that was really something big, especially in the early days. Uh, of ghost hunting but to my knowledge uh, th there's never really been a uh well you have to say what a ghost is but a ghost or spirit captured of uh, on a thermal imager no uh, you're absolutely right there hasn't in fact that would um there is no uh recorded incident instance anywhere of a ghost or paranormal event being definitively um, captured by any piece of equipment, be it a camera, uh, with one with one possible exception, which I'll come yeah, to okay. in a minute. Um, you know, we, we we there are countless videos, there are innumerable photographs uh, and sound recordings, but they yes. on their own they they actually demonstrate because they're still open to many many questions. Mm. Um, you know take take for example uh, a f uh one that's on the parascience website you know a, a very interesting set of uh what sound like footsteps being recorded um but only recorded you know it was only a sound recording mm -hmm. now there is no way um you know I, I i i recorded them i know that i was the only person there but there therein lies the problem um right. because because you know a sound recording is simply just that it is a recording of a sound that actually took place 
but it doesn't tell you anything about the cause of the sound that took place whether it was somebody you know a member of our team clumping around in in hobnail boots or uh, somebody who worked there spooking us and spoofing us or whether it was me or whether it was a phantom you know it's just a sound um so likewise the problem though is, isn't that true yeah absolutely and that's that's covered in the book um but I said there was one possible exception, and there is, and that that comes under uh, temperature, because there are several documented instances that go all the way back to séance room phenomena in the 1920s and 30s, mm-hmm. right up to the uh, to the present day, where uh, thermometers have. Uh, and I'm not talking about you know cheap Chinese. I'm talking about calibrated industrial um thermometers right that have recorded an anomalous change in the temperature but importantly that change in temperature was coincident with somebody independently reporting an unusual experience and that's happened uh, there are about 12 or 15 documented examples of that and in all of those, it is seemingly defying the laws of thermodynamics. And in fact, one that I experienced, the temperature um, inside of a building dropped to the temperature um, below the ambient outside air. The, uh, the building had no air conditioning um, and it dropped significantly below. It dropped eight degrees in about as many minutes. But here's the problem, Steve, is, is, yes, you had that experience, and it is some type of phenomena, Mm -hmm. but to equate it as a ghost or a spirit or a demon uh, is a stretch. I mean, we have no proof. Of course it's a stretch. And and in each of those, there was no claim made. No, Uh, no, I'm I'm not meaning that, but that's unfortunate because – that's what happens. People will get, even if they get a legitimate uh, phenomena uh-huh. that cannot be uh, explained scientifically, uh-huh. it's uh, it's still, you know, no evidence of a, a ghost, a spirit, or, or no, anything else. Not. And and that point is made several times in the book um, that what you've captured is an interesting physical anomaly. And we shouldn't discount it, by the way. Oh, of course. It also says that as well. Um, You know, what you have is evidence of, if you've done it properly, you have material evidence of an unusual anomaly that shouldn't take place or that you need to um, do further work to try and understand. Because sometimes it might appear on the surface to be very unusual, but then scratch down a few, you know, spend a little time um studying the phenomenon exploring what took place trying to replicate the event um investigate it in other words um and you may you may find an answer and often you will uh but a lot of investigators fall down with the uh that standard line um and we've seen it done on shows and we've seen it on youtube and we've seen it in investigation reports yeah they hear a noise or they 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 visually record something or see something and they go well we can't explain it therefore it must be paranormal and that's a mistake that's a big mistake the interesting thing too is that 
you know, even some of this phenomena that we cannot explain, we cannot explain now. Sometimes in the in the future, if we get other examples of similar phenomena, we might be able to find an explanation for this particular uh, phenomena or anomaly that that occurs. In other words, the we don't know the answer now, but in the future we may know the answer why what what this was exactly. Oh, and absolutely. we've seen that in the past. We've seen that in the past. Things we believed all through our history as as this, and we we disproved them eventually in, into the future. Now, now I'm not trying to say that we that you know we're just trying to disprove the existence of spirits or the existence of ghosts or incidents of phenomena, it exists. Uh, people believe it exists. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing we're trying to explain is trying to understand it and find out exactly what it is rather than just to jump to a conclusion to one way or another. Well, you're spot on. Um, in fact, I, I was going to read before the introduction to the book, um but you said you wanted some content but i'm going to go back to the introduction of the book okay that's that's fine Steve. um and and just read you um two paragraphs the, the opening two paragraphs uh the okay. first one is written in bold in in a larger font and it says the overwhelming majority of the evidence relating to cases of haunting and the appearance of ghosts apparitions and poltergeist phenomena exists in the form of personal testimony and the accounts of witnesses it is a fact that to date no device or item of equipment has yet demonstrated the reality of these or any similar phenomena. Some readers might think it is strange to introduce these guidance notes with such a statement, but any discourse relating to the use of equipment for investigating incident instances of haunting or the manifesting of poltergeists and ghosts must consider this reality. Does this mean that using equipment for making measurements and gathering data when investigating such cases is a futile endeavour driven only by hope, belief and wishful thinking? The answer must be an emphatic no. The use of equipment has allowed investigators to examine, measure and record in the minutest of detail the environment in places where these phenomena are reported. Careful measurements and observations have been used to test the claims and the reports of witnesses, and in many instances, the use of equipment has assisted the investigator to determine the cause of an event or reported experience. So that's just the that's just the opening pair of paragraphs from the introduction. So I think it sets the tone um, and and emphasize and reinforces what you just said um, that the equipment is assistive. It is not um often um demonstrative diagnostic um it's just one of the tools that we use as investigators to to help us the biggest problem with using equipment is people and it's and you see this so often and it's one of the reasons why many 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 years ago 20 years ago when we were first playing around with those cheap cctv um uh-huh. baby monitor systems we removed all the screens um our our base point or our whatever the you know command post or base mm-hmm. room uh, has no video screens there are no video screens um out in the field all the camera uh, have their screens off or closed because what we found was people don't look around them anymore they watch the screen that makes um sense. you know they they become fixated by this little glowing uh, rectangle 
um, in front of them and they don't observe anymore. And there was one, it, it came to a head after, because we, like everybody else, we set everything up and we, you know, we had banks and monitors so that we could watch the output from the cameras. Yeah. Um, and we were at a, the Boat Museum in Ellesmere Port, uh, which is on the banks of the Mersey. And it was a, a canal boat museum. So we dealt with the Britain's industrial uh, heritage and we transported goods everywhere by by uh, car- by canal, and the building had a very good reputation. And uh, we we had spent nearly a year there. And on this particular night, we'd set up as per normal. Now there wasn't a base room on the in, in this location, so it was essentially kind of think of a um, of a music concert where you have the sound mixer desk. And so we'd set up the base position kind of like that. So about you know quarter of the way down from one end um and pretty centrally um you know between the sides <clears throat> and we had a number of observers in pairs throughout the uh, throughout the the area we were in and there was two located behind us whose job was to um you know sort of watch that part of the building <clears throat> anyway after about um a half hour there was some commotion and the two investigators uh, be- behind the uh, base point got up and ran forward past the base point into the, the main body of the room. And there was, um, you know, some some commotion about all this. And we, we called a halt to the proceedings because it you know, been quite disruptive. And we asked them, well, what happened? What happened? What did you see? Oh, well, we were watching the screen. Um, now, this was the screen at the base point, about 10, foot, 10 feet in front of them. And mm-hmm. we saw we saw some movement. So we ran forward to investigate. I mm-hmm. said, which screen was it you saw the movement on? And they pointed at the screen. I went, that's the screen that's got the camera that's pointing behind me. In mm-hmm. other words, you were watching yourself on a camera. Yep. So, you know, it- they were jigging about and then they noticed that. And so they were jigging about some more and then they... So that was the point after which we never deployed a monitor in field again. Okay. Uh, we're coming up to the break, but I have to tell you one funny <clears> thing that actually happened to me at the red light seance. I was setting up the cameras, uh, uh, Levino, uh, the, the good cameras, and, uh, you know, you, you go back and forth. You have to check the, make sure the alignment's good and everything mm-hmm. you can see. So anyways, and uh, so I went back and uh, I looked and I saw a figure by the door <laughs> and uh it, it was moving and i went and looked of course there was nobody around but i clearly saw it and, and i we have it on footage of course because it's recorded so jim went through the whole thing and uh what there what it was it there was actually there's a delay in the uh-huh. in the camera so it was actually me uh, and it was by the door because that's where it picked up the tail end just as i was there so uh yeah it does happen. exactly the same things happen to me yeah so it, it does happen but we got to take a break you're listening to ghost chronicles international steve parsons are on colic right here on tojino toji net and pararex tojino and uh, pararex we'll be right back after the following messages Welcome to Tokinet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Two of Ghost Chronicles International Edition. <laughs> Sorry about the false start, but the music stopped in my ear, so I thought we'd started. So I started. It stopped it in my head, too. Uh, yeah, so there we go. These oh, things are sent to try us. I'm yeah. your host, New England's own Van Helsing, and the gold standard in ghost hunting, talking was... equipment and equipment faux pas and stuff. Well, I want to move on from that uh, too, because uh, there was something I wanted to cover a couple of weeks ago and never get got to it. And, but uh, I do want to uh, mention something too about uh, skeptics, or uh, I, guess I love skeptics. I couldn't need a whole one though. Whatever they are. Anyways, uh, those people that uh, say there's no such thing and they're paranormal and they have an explanation for everything. The the problem is is their explanations are uh, based on theories at at, at times. Your cuckoo clock just sound at the most yes. perfect time then. <laughs> I, it means that you guys can actually hear that thing. It's in no, the it other. when you said their explanations are. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it amazes me you can hear that because there's a TV right in front of my my wife is watching TV, but the cuckoo clock you can hear the TV you can't. That's amazing. Anyway. So, you know, they if they have they take one thing and they they say, okay, this is evidence that what you what occurred here, this is what occurred here. Not not that this is possibly what occurred there, but this is what occurred here. Otherwise, they just that's it. Uh, There's no there's no gray. It's just black and white to them. Do you agree with that concept? Well, what they do, it's um, what they do is they, they, they look at one very small part of the overall picture and they, mm-hmm. they focus on that very small part um, yeah. and they, they work hard to debunk that. And there often are, you know, there, there's a lot right. of unknowns in an investigation and sometimes investigators make genuine mistakes or, or uh, misreports. Before the, the break. Yeah. 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 Now, um, for example, you know, people will have heard of the Enfield poltergeist. And in one one uh, on one notable occasion, one of the girls tried to spoof the investigators. 
um she she and her sister were in the kitchen and they 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 threw an object they were immediately caught um you know and and questioned by by um, guy playfair who said why did you do it and did you do it and the girl said yeah yeah we did it we did it fair cop um but we're just fed up of these people coming around to our house night after night after night month after month after month and we just thought if we gave them something um they would go they'd away go and we yeah. we'd be happy now a lot of the skeptics um have focused on that one event and ignored many 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 you know the events that took place when the oh. when the girls weren't there or in the presence of multiple witnesses where the girls clearly uh, were in no position to perpetrate such a an event and they dismissed the entirety of the um experiences that took place there as simply the actions of two you know of of uh, the girls mm-hmm. and that's i mean that's just wrong uh, but that's how they do it you know they they only need to to disprove one tiny element of it um in order to they believe bring the whole uh, whole house of cards tumbling down right. and um experienced investigators will realize that you know in those circumstances in those situations what the girls actually did um wasn't helpful but it was it was perfectly understandable right. as was their explanation um you know these people you are dealing with humans and you're dealing with chaotic situations where the investigator often doesn't have a hundred percent total control it's not a laboratory experiment um, and people will do occasionally do unpredictable things it's i mean it, it, it's intriguing is, is why we do it but unfortunately there are people on both sides of the fence who uh really hurt the field more than uh they oh, there's nothing there's nothing worse than uh, i mean you know the skeptics criticize the believers and vice versa and you see it on we have these facebook groups over here and undoubtedly in america too that um like uk paranormal and hauntings and um paranormal phenomena is another one over here um and people go on and they tell their their stories and there was a post only the the other day um saying well if you don't believe why are you here Uh you know i mean they only welcome people with one mindset and the skeptics are exactly the same they they are equally as bad they have a very fixed very polarized opinion um you know one notable british scientist said that people who investigate or even bother looking for ghosts are knobbers uh which is quite <laughs> a derog- quite a derogatory term both yeah. sides of the atlantic i would imagine um and yet here's a professor of astro- know what it means <laughs> yeah he's a professor of astrophysics Mm-hmm. Um, with a very closed mind, right? But I mean, it, it, it's a shame the way it is. But anyway, so I did want to bring up another subject before I, and I wanted to bring this up a, a while ago, and and that's the old Edison Tesla thing, mm-hmm. and it's just like the believers and the non-believers. It's it's Tesla is the one who invented everything, and Edison's stole everything from him and it, it, it goes on and on like that but people don't they don't understand the true dynamics of 
what happened between the two of them and and, and so well, forth. For start off, I mean, Edison employed Tesla, gave exactly. him a job. Exactly. <laughs> and recognized his talent, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the off and employed him. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is undeniably true is that Tesla was a great inventor, but he was a terrible businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, and Edison was a, you know, very, very head screwed on businessman, very, very astute. And he was a good inventor too, by the way. Just to get he was in. a good inventor. Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But he was also very, very fast off the mark, patenting things. Right. Um, and and kind of like Apple, you know, Apple don't really invent very much. What they do is they take an idea or a concept and they develop it into a usable format. Right. Um, but they don't invent the technology, but they invent a new way, a better way, um, a more user-friendly way. Exactly. For instance, um, yep. And that's that's what Edison did. And, it, you know, there was that famous, um, the wars of the current between the two of them that led to the electrocution of an the, elephant and the invention the of the electric chair. The interesting thing <laughs> about that, Steve, is that Tesla came up with that while working for Edison, but mm-hmm. Edison poo-pooed it he was the one and that's why they split up if, mm-hmm. if edison had adopted the ac current thing then more than likely tesla we would never have this word about tesla uh, we, we probably wouldn't even know who he is uh because he'd still be an employee of edison and edison of course would, would be putting patents out on this and and that bit but because they split off over this ac current thing that's why we heard it Tesla, first of all, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it's they were both great men in, the, in their own mind, yeah, their own minds. That's true too, but their own right. They were also immensely um, throughout their lives. You know, they 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 had many disagreements and they had many battles. Uh, notably, the the War of the Currents, as it was called, ACD, uh, alternating current and direct current, yep. was. But they also admired each other tremendously. You know, they both recognized the genius of the other. Um, you know, Edison no would to... never employ Tesla if <clears> he <throat> didn't. Exactly. Um, and throughout, you know, throughout, um, you know, their latter years, they both several times said um, or commented on the genius of the other. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, I think the, the issue with Tesla is that, um most of and he he says this himself in his in his own um writings that he could visualize things he wasn't always correct um right. like the like the warden i can't remember the name of it wardencroft warden stock tower yes yes yeah yeah um <clears throat> although he you know he 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 was a genius geniuses you know are not always 100% right um, but he had these ideas, these concepts inside of his head and didn't necessarily write everything down. Right. He could visualize them. He could visualize them. And, I do the uh, same thing, Stephen, when, uh, in, in building things in my house and everything else, I visualize it first and, and that's where I go <coughs> from. Then I put it together. It's it, it some people can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it does hurt you, but it does help you too. So it's it's yeah. It's I mean, it, it allowed him to work, but it yep. it also meant that we we don't have a record. Plus, of course, um, after after he died in the hotel in New York, yeah. um, 
it is it it is it is said that the FBI removed and hid away um, many 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 of his uh, manuscripts. So we don't have a complete record. Now that story is partially true, uh, and to the extent to which anything has disappeared, we 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 don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know whether they took everything, some, none, um, whether they simply you know lost it through ineptitude. Um, or whether they, you know, it's locked in a vault with the Holy Grail in the next container along. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, you know, we just don't know, and right. so that's opened up the, the, you know, that opens up the door to conspiracy theorists idea. and um, you know, all manner of weird, strange ideas that Tesla was doing this, that, and the other, and he was, you know, communicating with aliens or he was communicating with the dead. Well, he thought um, he was originally. Um, both of them at different times were asked about um, and their answers were were quite um, or have been taken um, sometimes out of context or sometimes because what they said wasn't absolutely definitive. Ed- Edison said uh, regarding um, spirit communications that if such a thing were possible, then radio would seem a. I am actually going to go into that, Steve, because I have a, mm-hmm. a uh, transcript of an article he did with Forbes magazine. Yeah. And, and I, there's some interesting facts in here that uh, mm-hmm. people, I don't think, truly understand uh, his concepts of it. Uh, so, but yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. So, why don't I go into that since you introduced it? So, this is an article that uh, he wrote, well, he didn't write, but an interview he did with Forbes magazine. And, and, and of course, the most famous thing, everybody talks about the Spiricon, you know, the, the famous <coughs> Spiricon and the mysterious plants that supposedly happen and whatever. Anyways, so uh, an exclusive article brought to light uh, a bizarre, bizarre, <laughs> bizarre new device the 73-year-old Edison had apparently been working on a spirit phone that would let the living communicate with the dead. I have been, this is Edison's words now, I have been work, I have been at work for some time building an apparatus to see if it is possible, to see if it is possible for personalities which have left this earth to communicate with us, Edison told Forbes. If this is ever accomplished, it will be accomplished not by any occult, mystifying, mysterious, or weird means uh, such as are employed by so-called mediums, but by through scientific methods. Then, as now, the existence of the afterlife, uh, you know, of course, was a a big uh, debated thing. So this is Edison's uh, thought on the afterlife. Edison's own belief allowed for both faith and science. I can no more doubt the existence of an intelligence that is running things, God, uh, he told Forbes, than I do in existence of myself, he added, with absolute positiveness that some of our most generally accepted notions on the subject are utterly unattainable and ridiculous. Edison believed that all things, uh, all living bodies are composed of myriads and myriads of infinitesimal small individuals, each in itself a unit of life, and that these, uh, in those units, 
which work in swarms were everlasting. So this is basically what we're talking. He's talking about uh, a consciousness, right? Is uh -huh. is that what you get out of that? Um. So <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But... Okay. He goes on to say, when the person dies, Edison asserted, the swarms would take form elsewhere, going on to function in some other environment or vessel. Certain swarms, he theorized, this is all theory, according to Edison, did most of the thinking and directing much like bosses do or leaders do among humans. This theory would account for the fact that certain men and women have greater intellectual intellectuality, greater abilities, greater powers than others, he explained in the Ford's article. It would account for the differences in moral character with uh, the movement of the swarms behind changes in a person's personality in the course of his lifetime. So what do you think of that? Um, well, there's, there's quite a bit of, um, to unpack. Quite there. a bit there. Yeah, there is. Because, yeah. I mean, at, at, at one level, he's actually talking, or it could be interpreted, he's talking about something which we understand today, only just coming to terms with uh, understanding today. And that is, of of course, the, the quantum um, mechanics, where, where we are indeed comprised of an infinitesimal number of myriad swarms of, um, I suppose they will be independent. And when we do cease to exist as a living individual, um, then these things they don't change state they don't go away um the carbon molecules that comprise our skin the the hydrogen uh, atoms that comprise um us the calcium uh, ions and atoms they all go back into the environment and become something else uh, yeah. trees and plants and soil or and and the idea of uh consciousness uh, which he also talks about there yeah, um, is something which isn't isn't wasn't even a new concept for Edison because you have this this idea of the akashic record of a universal um, consciousness um, in many many early religions. Um, you know, it's 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 part of some of the um, I, it's the backbone of theosophy of Swedenborgism of um, Hinduism, Zoroastrianism. Um, whereby we are just, uh, in effect, ants in a colony controlled by a hive mind, and that we dip in and out of, um, an off, you know, it, it, our, our brain is is simply a microprocessor, but the memory, the RAM for the for this computer we call life and the universe is somewhere else, mm -hmm. and it, what Edison has done, I mean, he, he's talking. A century ago when some of these things hadn't been discovered or they yeah, had been theorized yeah. and or well they were being theorized about you know um atomic physics was was becoming well understood it was only you know a couple of decades later that they they harnessed the atom rutherford only 10 years later um sorry 20, 20 years later had actually split the atom so there was an understanding at some level um, but like all good scientists, what Edison is doing is taking what is known 
and conceptualizing it. Here in the UK, we have people who are employed. Uh, they're called futurologists and they're employed by many large companies to try and think about the world in 50 years or 100 years. Think about the technology and think about what people will be doing and what they'll be needing and how they will be using it. And like like futurologists, scientists also are thinking about um, the results of previous experiments. They're, they're conceptualizing based upon the information that they have. What does it mean? Um, how how can this be understood? How can it be interpreted? And what you, I, I take from what Edison said is that he is a, a darn good scientist doing what darn good scientists should do, which is think about the problem, um, try to analyze it, try to define ways of, and he said at the start of the interview, he has been looking at methods. He's been building pieces of equipment to test ideas, rather like investigators testing ideas. And this, it goes on to talk a little <coughs> bit about his, his electric ghost machine, as it's mm -hmm. called in here. If successful, Edison's electric ghost machine would be able to detect the personalities of the deceased, allowing them to relay messages from the spirit realm. Mm -hmm. If the unit, and this is Edison's words now, if the units of life which compose an individual's memory can hold together after death, uh, Edison reasoned, it is not within range of possibility to say at least that these memory swarms could retain the powers they formerly possess and thus retain what we call individual's personality after the dissolution of the body. If so, then the individual's memory or personality ought to be able to function as before. I am hopeful, he continued, that by providing the right kind of instrument to, to be operated by this personality, we can provide intelligent messages from it in its uh, changed habitat or environment. If this apparatus I am constructing should provide a channel for the inflow of knowledge from an unknown world, a form of existence different uh, from this form of life, we may be brought. Uh, we may be brought in an important step nearer to the foundation of all knowledge, nearer the intelligence with, which directs us all. So that's that's basically um, what he said in this article. And the big problem is, of course, there are no plans um, remaining no. for whatever he was working on. Um, but they don't the exist. So. Is to me is is he's he's actually saying it's not us who's going to operate the the equipment. It will be the personality from the other side of the intelligence from the other side. Well, it's opened the door to to many. Um, I mean, particularly with EVP, you had Meek and um, his uh, with Spiricom, um, mm -hmm. and over here we had Scammel and others. And there are there are many EVP researchers who have claimed down the years that the piece of equipment that they're building or designing or that the plans for which were supplied by Edison or the spirit world, mm -hmm. um, 
but Edison's name features in a lot of these um, ideas. You know, they say that they, they, you know, a medium which Edison was deeply critical of um, was used to provide the plans for a device to get rid of mediums. It's kind of like turkeys voting for Christmas. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's what they claim. Um, the big problem, of course, with Edison and where the door has been kicked wide open for the conspiracy theorists um, is that there are no plans. Uh, the archives right. have been searched and they've been uh, comprehensively looked through, picked over and studied. And there is simply no evidence that he actually built the device. And what Edison may have been doing there is, and Edison um, had done it previously, had a tracker. Remember, the guy was in a very astute businessman, uh, very good at self-publicity. So we don't actually know whether he, because he's, although he says, I am working on, um, he doesn't say, I have built you know, no, he, he doesn't say that at all, Steve. Which is, um, so we don't yeah. know whether I am working on means I am sitting in a, a comfortable chair with a, you know, um, a packet of biscuits, cookies, and a, a cup of tea. And working, thinking, about <laughs> thinking about it. Because it means the same thing. You know, I'm working on ideas for you know, a new book. That doesn't mean to say that you're hastily scribbling bits of paper on the bedside table or, you know... Uh, tapping away the computer keyboard, mm -hmm. but you're still working on an idea. And right. Edison uses the word working on. Some people have interpreted it as he's, he's in his laboratory. His biographers actually say that uh, during that period of his life, he, he, didn't, he didn't appear to be actively, you know, in the... In the because by then, of course, Edison um, was controlling several multi-million dollar companies and was, you know, preoccupied with the day-to-day -day running of companies. He didn't spend his time in a Victorian mansion with a laboratory in the basement, um, you know, with jars of bubbling liquids and wires <laughs> and flashing, you know, electricity. Uh, in fact, ne well, Tesla did, actually. Um, and Western House. Sorry and, uh, yeah, and lots of pigeons. Um so we don't actually know the truth of it, but we, we, we can interpret Edison's words in different ways. Right. Now, I, 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 before I forget, and I know we're getting towards the end of the show, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Lay Scott. He, uh, he says this is his favorite uh, podcast. So um, oh, Thank you very much. So I want to give a shout-out to Lay Scott, and uh, thank you so much. And we want to thank all our patrons on Ghost Chronicle Radio who uh, help support this uh, show financially as well, which is good by joining uh, Patreon. They get special materials they can only see on as Patreon subscribers and members of the Dead Air Society, as we like to call it. But anyway, so I, I want to make sure I got that in. I, I meant to do that earlier. So, all right, yeah, there we go. We're getting to the bell. So, anyways, we're coming up on the end of the show, and uh, the second hour of Ghost Chronicles is going to be coming up next, right here on Tojanet and, and uh, Pararex Radio. And believe it or not, it's going to be Steve and I again. <laughs> How on earth did that happen? I don't know. It's because he ends out in uh, Hosneck Beach, Beach again or something or other. Yeah, I want to know something. I mean, how bad is your American uh, telephone network? Because I was on vacation last week, and I still manage. I, I manage every. I know. You're a I trooper. Know. Yeah. I stood there in that 
on that misty pathway looking for ghosts. By the um, way, did you see it? No. Oh, <laughs> and do you know what? Like a good investigator, I was there for six nights and I did it six nights. It wasn't just for the show. Right. Didn't see anything. Yeah. Nothing to do with the pub across, pub, pub across the street, right? No, nothing to do with the pub across the street. <laughs> but I just lucked out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw, I'm sure you saw my, my post. I am going to UK. I've decided on my mm-hmm. mind. I, it's it's in my brain. I am going. Mm-hmm. Now I just got to start put the bucks away to to cover all this mess. Of course, I have to wait for the the virus to clear itself up. Well, as, well. as of as of uh, next Monday, uh, the UK are allowing in uh, US citizens who've been double okay. vaccinated. Are they? Yeah, <laughs> America hasn't won't allow the Brits in, but Britain will allow the Americans in. So oh, sweet. And of course, you do have that awful eight-hour each-way flight. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe not. What are you gonna do? Swim? Take the new supersonic jet. Boom! Be there in two minutes. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, we got Mr. Bezos. Yeah. We gotta go. Yeah, I could take go up in the spaceship. Who knows? Anyways, uh, we gotta go. Uh, stay tuned for the second hour when uh, Steve and I will be back, and uh, I'm sure we'll come up with something else to talk about. <laughs> well, we'll have Who to knows? promote the book all over again. <laughs> oh God, please no! Different audience. It's, I've got to do. I've got to do it tomorrow. Well, sorry, tonight. It's a good book. Buy the book. All right. Buy the damn thing. Yeah. Good night. God bless. See you in a bit. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good 